Enjoying my morning coffee while sitting on the porch swing, I noticed a tiny white spider right in front of me. I figured it was descending from the trees overhead, but then I saw that it was moving horizontally and not downward as I had expected. It appeared to be walking across the air. I watched for some time, yet I couldn't see where it was coming from, where it was going, or even what it was walking on. I was captivated by the spider's journey, a journey that seemed to be supported by air alone. I reasoned that although I couldn't see it, the spider must be navigating on a thread of spider web. I didn't know what the thread was attached to, and yet I was certain that the thread existed. You see, I had a lot of experience walking smack into spider webs while hiking. <laughs> so I knew that just because I couldn't see it, that didn't make it any less real. Watching that spider, I contemplated on other things that I cannot see and yet I know exist. Like electricity or gravity. I can't see them, but there's other evidence that they do exist. I pondered things like love and hope, which I know exist, though I cannot see them, or even touch them like I could a spider web. As I sat that morning, my contemplation caused me to wonder if the spider, or even the ants on my deck, could conceive of humans. How do they make sense of the things that happen in their worlds, like when I sweep them off the deck? Do they think, oh no, here we go again, I'm gonna have to rebuild. Curse those humans. <laughs> or do they conceive of their experience as what we might call a natural disaster, or in the language of previous insurance companies, uh, an act of God? This isn't the first time I've wondered about how ants conceptualize the world around them. Extrapolating from the ants' experience to my own, I wonder about humans' conceptualization of the world around us. What things are much larger than us impacting our lives that we cannot even conceive of? From our perspective, ants are tiny creatures and we observe our impact on their lives directly, such as what we do with them in the moment, and indirectly, such as through climate change. We may see ourselves as an actor on the life of the ant. We can see how we affect their lives and how they affect ours. The ant doesn't conceptualize of a human, yet we do exist and directly affect them which led me to wonder about those things that we can't even conceive of, how they nonetheless exist and directly and indirectly affect our lives. In their book on adaptive leadership, Ronald Heifetz and Marty Linsky refer to the skill of getting perspective in the midst of action as getting off the dance floor and going to the balcony. That Practice allows one to ask the question, what's really going on here? 
Imagine yourself on a dance floor. As you dance, you notice the footwork of the people near you, the type of clothes they're wearing, the texture of the clothing and skin. You observe facial expressions, eye color. You sense the energy of those around you. And you can smell the fragrances of the people. Then needing a break, you go to the balcony. And from there, you no longer can see the precise details of eye color or feel the texture of clothing. Likely can't hear the individual conversations or sense. Instead, you have a much wider view. You may now see that there are more people dancing than you previously thought. From this vantage point, you can see the beauty in the movement of the dancers as a whole and notice larger patterns. You can see different groups of people and how they cluster together, how they interact with other groups, and you can see potential hazards that you couldn't see while on the floor. There are so many contexts in which the skill of moving back and forth from the dance floor to the balcony may be helpful. Some people do this effortlessly, even unconsciously stepping back to consider the larger context of a situation before responding. That action is also a skill that can be developed and strengthened with practice. As Heifetz and Linsky write, any military officer, for example, knows the importance of maintaining the capacity for reflection even in the fog of war. Great athletes can at once play the game and observe it as a whole. As Walt Whitman described it, both in and out of the game. Jesuits call it contemplation in action. Hindus and Buddhists call it karma yoga or mindfulness. This practice is helpful to me as a spiritual director. As I meet with people, they share deeply personal, important aspects of their lives and spiritual journeys. As someone they meet with once per month, I'm not a regular daily participant in their lives. Therefore, I'm not on the dance floor. Because of that, and through my intentional practice, I'm able to pull back from the immediate situation that they're describing and help them to notice something that they may have overlooked previously. That morning as I continued sipping my coffee, contemplating the spider on an invisible line, the movement from the dance floor to the balcony, I wondered about the movement from the balcony to something beyond. If the perspective from the balcony shifts our understanding, how does perspective shift when looking from the top of a building? What things recede from view? What comes into view, into focus? What becomes more and what becomes less important when viewed from a greater distance? Annually, over a 10-year period, a book was published titled Earth from Above, 365 Days. The books include aerial photography produced by Jan Arthas Bertrand, capturing vistas of Earth from an airplane. These beautiful images provide another wider perspective of various landscapes. From this vantage point, patterns emerge that cannot be seen from the ground. 
as well as drastic changes to the um, landscape over time. It was from Google Earth images that it was discovered that cows all face north when they're grazing. Previously, it was thought that the cows were just randomly scattered. The first image of Earth from outer space was captured in 1946. It was the image from 1972, however, that captured humans' imagination. In the, in the photograph, the Earth then looks like a blue marble. From outer space, none of the billions of individual people are visible. None of the various elements which make up our unique lives, not our relationships, employment, worries, cares, loves. From this vantage point, we humans are now smaller than those ants I was contemplating that morning. From outer space, we obtain a clearer view of how much water covers the Earth, how much space each of the continents take up. There are likely many other forces that are observable from this perspective that affect our lives on Earth, and yet we remain unaware in our day-to-day -day lives. We not, may not be able to see them or conceptualize them, but that doesn't mean that they're not there. Many of us experience the world in three dimensions, length, width, and height, what we see, Yet scientists have suggested that there may be up to six dimensions to our existence. I've tried to read articles about other dimensions and I truly cannot understand <laughs> additional dimensions. I can't conceive of them. But that doesn't make them any less real. There are also uh, multiverse theories which, which Quote, suggests that our universe with all its hundreds of billions of galaxies and almost countless stars spanning tens of billions of light years may not be the only one. Instead, there may be entirely different universes, distantly separated from ours, and another and another. Just because we can't conceive of them doesn't mean that they're not there. There was a, sp a, a web the spider traversed Though I couldn't see it, and there are likely many other things supporting our existence which we cannot see. Incredibly, moving the other direction below the dance floor rather than above on the balcony produces similar results. Suddenly, patterns emerge from this changed viewpoint. Looking closer at the makeup of the world produces information and patterns we were previously unaware of. The more I contemplated the spiders and ants, the more excited I got about the possibilities, and the more tired. It was early in the morning. <laughs> At the same time, this practice also caused me a bit of anxiety about all that is not directly observable. A younger version of me was a world-class warrior. I worried about everything intensely and for long periods of time. Over the years, I've been able to let go of some of that. I do occasionally worry about things, but not as obsessively as was once true. Over these last pandemic years, worry has been a constant companion for many. Worry for ourselves, 
our families, our communities, the country, the world. Not just worry about the virus, but worry about all of the ways that this virus has impacted our lives. We have all individually and collectively been through innumerable changes since 2019. Often worry occurs because we don't and can't possibly know what is going to happen. Fear of the unknown. The unknown doesn't have to be anxiety provoking though. One of the unforeseeable outcomes of the pandemic that I see is that more and more people are becoming aware of those forces that we don't directly see, but certainly feel. People are becoming more aware of the multitudes of ways that we are interrelated in an interdependent web of all existence. We don't see and yet we know with certainty that our lives are tied together in inexplicable ways with each other. We know that there are invisible threads connecting you and me and all of existence, all of the universe into a beautiful dance. Those threads that bind us together and support us, even though we may not, may be unaware of the thread, are nonetheless there. I don't know to what that thread leads, yet I know it is there, holding us securely together in this dance of life. I'd like to close my time with you this morning with, one of the, with a poem describing one of the forces supporting us. The poem is titled, The Rhythm. In any creative feat, by which I mean your work, your art, your life, there will be downtimes, or so it seems. Just as the earth is busy before the har harvest and a baby grows before its birth, there is no silence in you. There is no time of nothingness. What if during the quiet times when the idea flow is hushed and hard to find, you trusted, and yes, I mean trusted, that the well was filling, the waters moving? What if you trusted that for the rest of eternity, without prodding, without self-discipline, without getting over being yourself, you would be gifted every ounce of productivity you need? What would leave you? What would open? And what if during the quiet times you ate great meals and leaned back to smile at the stars and saw them there as they always are, nourishing you? There are seasons and harvest is only a fraction of one of them. There is the rhythm that made everything. The next time you stand in the kitchen leaning, the next time a moment of silence catches you there, hear it that rhythm and let it place a stone in your spine, let it bring you some, someplace beautiful. It's by Tara Sophia Moore. That rhythm to the world isn't something that we see, but it is something that we can feel. May you remember that there is a thread connecting you to me. May you know that you are not alone. May you revel in the support of the thread. May you be blessed with the company of a spider and an ant as you continue to enjoy your morning. May it be so.